It is certainly good to be able to be with you again. The last time I think we, you, you were in the old building, and uh, it's been, been quite some time ago, but it is wonderful to be able to be with you again tonight. I just have a question for you. We sang that song a few moments ago, number 504. I want to ask you this question. How did it make you feel? Did it make you feel better? Did it make you excited? Did it help calm you? Did it help bring any peace to you? And the reason I ask that question is because that song was written to help an individual who is dealing with melancholy, even to the point of depression. I want to read to you uh, something about this song, and I'm going to mention it. it. I'm going to read to you from William J. Reynolds in his book, Hymns of Our Faith. There, you can look online and you'll find different variations of this account. Sometimes people have carelessly read and they have reversed the incidents. But Reynolds actually has a quotation from the man who wrote the lyrics. And so his, his credibility, the fact that it was written in 19... Uh, that, it was, um, that it was edited uh, in 1967 and republished, it was published much earlier than that, it lets us know that this book has a great deal of credibility. This song was written shortly after the Civil War. There were a lot of problems in the country. There were a lot of problems in people's minds. People were frustrated. They were upset. There were a lot of things that were bothering people. But a man by the name of Sanford F. Bennett was working in, uh, he was working as a pharmacist in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. He had a friend by the name of Joseph P. Webster. Joseph P. Webster was a music teacher in the same town. But as a lot of musicians, or I shouldn't say a lot, but as some musicians are, he was very thoughtful, he could be very pensive, but he could also be very down, very melancholy. There were times in his life, in Mr. Webster's life, where he was to the point of almost being depressed. And so he was a friend of Sanford Bennett. One day, uh, Bennett tells us that Joseph Webster came into his, uh, into his office and that he, he walked over to a counter and turned his back on his friend, Mr. Bennett. Mr. Bennett was sitting at a table, and, and the man didn't even say a word to him. And so he knew that something was wrong. And this is the way he said it. He said, I turned to him and said, Webster, what is the matter now? It's no matter, he replied. It will be all right by and by. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Listen to what he goes on to say. He, he said, the idea of the hymn came to me like a flash of sunlight, and I replied, the sweet by and by. Why would, that, why would not that make a good hymn? Maybe it would, he said indifferently. Turning to my desk, I penned the words of the hymn as fast as I could write. I handed the words to Webster. As he read, his eyes kindled, and stepping to the desk, he began writing down the notes. Taking his violin, he played the melody and then jotted down the notes of the chorus. It was not over 30 minutes from the time I took my pen to write the words before two friends with Webster and myself were singing the hymn. And that's why I asked the question in the beginning because it should not go without notice that this hymn was written to brighten someone's day. It was written to help someone out of this melancholy mood. This person who had a way of looking at life negatively. We can get in a rut and begin to do that very easily. But, wor but words have 
power. Lyrics have power. Songs have power. And this song has, can have that same effect today. We want to talk a little bit about the, about the song, about the verses and what they, really, what they really mean. But think about the time when it was written, once again. Shortly after the Civil War, people were divided. They were divided politically. People were angry. People were mourning over those who were dead. This is something that, happens, that has happened more than one time in history. There were similar feelings following the Vietnam War, the Korean War. There are, we're under totally different circumstances, but last year was a trying and troubling year for everybody, wasn't it? Not just here, but everyone around the world. It was a troubling time. And what happened? People sometimes were divided and people had strong opinions and sometimes those got in the way of brotherly love and brotherly kindness. But you know, one of the things about being a Christian is that we have a hope, as David alluded to in his prayer. And that's what this song is all about. It is about the hope that we have. So he, the, the song begins, there's a land that is fairer than day. But the title, and I was surprised, I was looking for the, the sweet by and by, but in the song books it's titled Sweet By and By. But by and by refers to either a point of time in the future or time passing itself. But it points to a time, whether it be a particular point or a particular uh, season, when things will be better. And so that's all that Mr. Webster was saying. He said, well, it doesn't matter. It, it will all be okay by and by. And for a person, for a worldly person, or a person who's really not thinking spiritually, uh, someone might say that and say, well, you know, things are going to get better. They always do. We, we go through those rough patches, but things will get better. And so by and by, it will all be okay. But that wasn't where Sanford Bennett was going to stop with this song. He was going to take the Christ, Christian perspective and say that there is not just a by and by, but there is a sweet by and by. There is a time, there is a place when things not only will work out and be better, but they will be perfect. They will be wonderful. And so this song refers to that place and that time. He's not anticipating any event, but one that he's looking forward to is one that's going to be comforting. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be one that's going to be satisfying. So let's look at some of the details. I'm just going to look at it this way. I'm going to just give four points to this song. I thought about just looking at each verse, and we will do that. But I want to look at, number one, the promise. Uh, no, I'm sorry, number one, the place. Number two, the promise. Number three, the peace. And number four, the praise. And we'll mention all of those in, in order as we get to them. So first of all, the place. Verse one of that song. There's a land that is fairer than day. Night is often associated with fear and uncertainty. But the daytime is associated with security and with joy, with comfort and with peace. There's a land that is fairer than day. When we think of a wonderful day, we think of a day where the sun is shining brightly, maybe not a cloud in the sky, and everything just seems right with the world. Today it was raining, it was cloudy, it was gloomy. I told someone earlier I was able to stand up and walk around. I'm alive, so you know, it's great. I'm doing, doing great today. But oh, aren't those sunny days, aren't they wonderful? You know, in the wintertime there's a problem that people have because they are not exposed to enough sunlight. You know what the condition is called? It's appropriately named sad, sad. Seasonal affective disorder. 
because we need that sun. There is something about the sunlight that is beneficial both biologically and, and also emotionally. There's a land that is fairer than day. The shorter days of winter are a problem for many people, but daytime brings great blessing. And wouldn't it be wonderful to think about a place where there would never be any night, where it would always be day, where there would always be safety, and there would always be security, and we could always feel totally at home. The Bible says that there is such a place. And there is no doubt that Mr. Bennett, when he was writing the lyrics to this song, was talking about that place called heaven. I'd like to read with you or to you from Revelation 22, verses 1 through 6, about that place. Revelation 22, verse 1, beginning, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face. And His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things that must shortly be done. So what do we find? A land that is fairer than day. A land where there is no darkness. A land where we need no artificial light. A land where God is the light. And God is there to bless us each day. Revelation 21, there is another description. We'll look at verse 4 again in just a moment under another point, but... Let's put these together as we think about heaven and the blessings that were found therein. John said, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of, a, out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things have passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto them, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And that's an important statement that these words are true and faithful. In verse 1, he said that he saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then we find in verse 5, that God said, I make all things new. The new heavens and the new earth. The, words, uh, the word new there from kainos means new in kind. It means different. It doesn't mean a, um, a, uh, a, a regenerated earth. It means something that is totally different. It is a place that we're going to go. We're going to leave here according to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 17. We're going to leave this planet. We're going to meet the Lord in the clouds. And so shall you ever be with the Lord, Paul said. And so we're not going to be here on this planet. There's something else that's better. Remember that Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself myself. 
that where I am, there you may be also. It was something new. It's new in kind. It has to be because of the kind of people that we're going to be, that we're not going to be in our physical bodies anymore, but in our spiritual bodies. There are some reasons then that the land that is fairer than day should be appealing to us. As we saw in just these two passages, these two readings, number one, everything that was lost to sin spiritually will be restored and whatever our need, it will be supplied. When Adam and Eve were created and put in the garden, the Lord came and walked in the garden in the cool of the day. There was a, there was a relationship that was there that was lost when they sinned. They had the innocence of two people that were created pure and without transgression. But once they had sinned, they had the guilt of sin. There was the curse of the land. There was the curse of death. All of these things are going to be taken away in the land that's fairer than day. And that's one of the reasons that it should be so wonderful to us because all of those things that were lost to sin will be restored. Number two, another reason that this land should be a a place to be desired is the fact that God is going to be there. That His throne is going to be there. That we we will be able to be with Him throughout eternity. Number three, we will for the first time be able to see His face. John 1 and verse 18, the Bible says that no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. John wrote in 1 John 3 verse 1 something that is very interesting. The emphasis is upon Jesus, but it's it's very interesting because it tells tells us something about God the Father and this concept of not seeing Him. He said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Why is that significant? Let me just suggest this reason. Who, Who wrote that? The Apostle John. Where had John been? John had been with Jesus. He had seen Jesus in the flesh. According to Matthew 17, he was present on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had seen Jesus in that transfigured state. He had also seen Jesus after Jesus had risen from the dead. When Jesus appeared in that room that Sunday evening as the, uh, as the apostles had assembled there, Jesus appeared there in, a, in, in that body and appeared in that way. John saw that. So there are three different ways or three different states in which John has seen the Lord. But John says, we're going to see him as he is. No one has ever seen God in his natural state. The Bible tells us that a man could not look upon God and live. Moses wanted to see the Lord. And the Lord told him, you can't. You, You can't do that. But in that land, in the sweet by and by, we will be able to see God because we will, be, we will see differently because we will be in a, different, in a different body, in a spiritual body, not in a physical body. All right, number four. Another reason that we should want to be in that land, in the sweet by and by, is that there is no night there because God is the giver of light. We've already mentioned that. Number five. We will share a sweet reunion with the saved who have already gone to be with the Lord. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
Paul said there, beginning at verse 13, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant. The word just simply means unlearned or uninformed. Brethren, concerning those which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, a close study and the commentaries that I've read have all come to the conclusion that, what he's, that he is not telling us that we should never sorrow at all, but that we don't sorrow like people who have no hope. What a terrible, what a terrible expression or a terrible thing to hear. There is no hope. And if we have no hope for our loved ones when this life upon this earth is over, it's a terrible thing to say indeed. But he said, as Christians, you don't have to feel that way. You don't have to sorrow like they do. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent those which are asleep. Some translations say, shall in no wise, in no wise precede them. In other words, if we're alive when the Lord returns, we're not going to meet him before those who have already died. But they will be resurrected, then we will be brought up. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now listen to verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. I would imagine that among the, uh, a number such as this, that probably all of us have lost someone that was very dear to us. Hopefully, that person was a, was a Christian, was a child of God. One of the hardest things for me to do would, would be to, to stand beside someone that I love, and I've been there, I've done it, and to know that I'm going to lose them, and to lose them, but to lose them as a Christian, I was actually relieved that there was no more suffering because they had suffered so terribly. I was actually excited for them, wondering about who they would see when they got to paradise, knowing that the Bible describes in the case of the rich man and Lazarus that an angel took Lazarus into Abraham's bosom, to know that when I do leave, when I go to the sweet by and by, that I don't have to go alone, but that there will be an angel to escort me if that applies to all. I know that it applied to him. And so there is a blessing in that. And for the Christian, for the child of God, the Christian doesn't look at death the same way as the world does. We're not afraid of it. We don't desire it. We don't go seeking it. But we're not afraid of it. Because we know that to be with God is so much better, as Paul said. I remember that a missionary from India came and gave a presentation one day. And they were talking about one of the members in their congregation that had passed away. And he said, we've got to be so careful how we behave ourselves, present ourselves in front of other people. Because here we are as Christians telling other people that we have hope and that we look forward to being with the Lord. And he said, so we have to be careful not to, not to scream and cry and, and show ourselves in, in ways that, that others in their society would do. But they would weep quietly. Their tears might run down their face. But as they went to the burial and they went and other people came to watch to see what those Christians were going to do, he said, we, we, got those, we wiped those tears off of our face and we kept, we put a smile on our face 
Because we wanted them to know that we really believed what we, what we said. We really believed what we taught. It's hard to do that sometimes. But we, might, we need to do that. But we will share a sweet reunion. How wonderful will it be when we get to paradise and we can find all of the loved ones, the brethren that have been such an important part of our lives to be able to see them again and not just once, but forever in the presence of God. And for all of us to be able to glorify Him together at the same time. And number six, the home that will be prepared by God, it will be prepared by God. That's really the point, but let me explain further. It's not going to be second rate. We're not going to have to worry about the light bill. We're not going to have to worry about insurance. We're not going to have to worry about any of those other things. We're not going to have to worry about a neighbor coming by and saying, you need to mow your yard or you need to paint the trim. We're all going to have a house prepared by God. And it will be a blessed place to live. So it's a land of blessing, a land of restoration, and a land of association. It is a land that is fairer than day. All right, well, that's the place. Number two, let's look at the promise. Why would the words of this song mean anything to the melancholy mood of Mr. Webster, the man who wrote the music to the song, who wrote the notes? Why would that mean anything to him? Why would it mean anything to anybody? When we sang it a while ago, that's why I asked you, how did it make you feel? Why would it mean anything? Well, the words of that song will not lift us up unless we truly believe, unless we truly believe them. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. Why should anybody believe in heaven? Well, there are some people who say that heaven is nothing more than a myth, nothing more than a dream, and that we are foolish to want to believe in it. But I'm going to suggest to us tonight that one of the reasons that I believe in heaven is because of the credible testimony of the people who have told us about it. John the Apostle who wrote in the Revelation was a, an apostle of Jesus. He had been with Jesus. He was an eyewitness. I'm going to read something he said in just a moment, but I want to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. 1 Peter 1 verse 13. Peter said, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus hath showed me. Peter said, I'm going to die soon, but I don't want you to give up. And I'm writing this. I want you to know what I know. And I want to remind you of it because you have to be reminded. He said, Moreover, I endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and were eyewitnesses of His majesty. When were they eyewitnesses of His majesty? On the Mount of Transfiguration. On the Mount of Transfiguration. He goes on in verse 18 and says, When we were with Him on the Holy Mount. Verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. We could read the rest of the chapter. It's all important. It all fits with this study. But what is Peter saying? Peter's saying, I'm writing this to you because I don't want you to forget. You have got to remember 
that our Lord Jesus Christ came and that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. He said, I don't want you to forget that everything hinges on that. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. Without faith, we're not going to be even looking. And Peter wanted to make sure that they were looking then, but that they kept on looking. Jesus was proven to be what he claimed to be. You think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I had a young, uh, young man came in to me the other night, and he said, I saw the most interesting video on YouTube. And I said, really? Well, imagine that. He said, yes. He said, there's a man who's not a Christian. He says he's not a Christian, and, but he was just, he was wanting to go out and look at evidence, historical evidence, biblical evidence, and see if he could prove whether or not the resurrection was really real. What was his conclusion? That it was. He said, there is no doubt. There is no way it can be denied. And it can't be. So if the death, burial, and resurrection, particularly the resurrection of Jesus is true, then Jesus proved himself to be everything that he claimed to be. And every promise that he made is just as sure as money in the bank. Well, it's more sure than that. Money in the bank's not so sure anymore, is it? The promises that Jesus made are sure. And we can put great, we can put total confidence in them. You remember in Revelation 22 when we read about how beautiful heaven was going to be and all the blessings that were going to be there? Look back at Revelation 1, verses 1 through 2. Because what we are told there is that those words that we read a moment ago about heaven ultimately came from Jesus. And if Jesus was raised from the dead, if He is the Son of God, which He is, of course, then those words carry so much more weight and should mean so much more, should bring us so much more comfort. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And He sent and signified it by His angel unto His servant John, who bear record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that He saw. Why should I believe in heaven? Because it was Jesus, ultimately, He was giving the words to John through the Spirit. It was Jesus who was telling us or telling Him to tell us about heaven. So with Jesus being the Son of God and Jesus describing heaven or giving this description for it to be written down for us. For Peter to say, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables. We saw Him. We saw His majesty. We heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Not an altar to Elijah, uh, Peter. Not an altar to Moses, Peter. Don't, don't be building altars to everybody. This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And by faith we can see it afar. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 and verse 17, and the inspired word of God assures us that heaven is definitely real, and that is, it is acceptable or accessible is what I meant to say. That it is accessible to all who will come to God through obedient faith. So we can have it. All of those advantages, the land that is fairer than day, by faith we can see it afar. The Hebrew writer said, now faith is... The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what the King James Version says. What I want to illustrate here is that faith is not a baseless desire, but it is a sincere conviction based upon credible evidence. 
A sincere conviction based upon credible evidence. That's what biblical faith is. Now I read to you from the King James. I'm going to read to you from a, a different translation. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Saying exactly the same thing is just using synonyms, different words to describe it. But when we look at both of them, we, we begin to get the picture. Because God can't, who cannot lie is the one who made the promise that heaven can be ours. Heaven can be and should be is just as real in our, in our minds as if we were already there. Just as real in our minds as if we were already there. It is the assurance of things not seen. I don't have to see it with my physical eye to know that it's true because I know that Jesus said it's true. Peter said, I know that it's true. John said, I know that it's true. I can be convinced. I can be certain. Number three, the peace. We will sing on that beautiful shore the melodious song of the blessed, songs of the blessed and our spirits, notice, shall sorrow no more. You know, a lot of people when they write religious songs take liberty with Scripture. I was amazed at how close this author came to the Scripture when he said, our spirits shall sorrow no more. Why did he say that? Well, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, right? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty. It is our spirit being. It is our spirit. We will sorrow no more. Not a sigh for the blessing of rest. I wonder if he had in mind Revelation 14 and 13 when he wrote that. That verse tells us, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. How closely that patterns that song, the peace. Number four, the praise. To our bountiful Father above, we will offer our tribute of praise for the glorious gift of His love and the blessings that hallow our days. Paul wrote in Romans 5, beginning of verse 6, he said, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would, would one die. Yet peradventure for a good man... One would even dare to die. Some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. The writer says here, Paul says here, look at what God did out of love. We're all familiar with John three sixteen that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. But He didn't send His only begotten Son just for the good people. Just for the people that were trying their best to be righteous folks. But He sent His Son for everyone. He sent His Son for sinners. For people that were condemned. For people that weren't living up to heaven's standard. So to our bountiful Father above, we offer our tribute of praise for the glorious gift of His love. The blessings that hallow our days. The word hallow means to make holy or to set apart. Though God blesses all mankind, and we know that He does, Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. The fact is that there are special blessings for the Christian. Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Paul said, For all uh, spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. And so 
every day in Christ for the Christian is a day of blessing that the world does not enjoy. When I'm tempted to become discouraged or to become down, and that's about every day, because that temptation is always there. But when I think about that, I think about I have blessings other people don't. I want to share those blessings. I want everyone to have the opportunity to have the blessings that we have in Christ. Forgiveness and peace, all the blessings that are there. But God is to be praised. God is to be praised for the blessings involved in salvation. Our time will not permit um, me to read several of the passages that I have here, but I have Hebrews 13, 12 through 15, for example. Revelation 19, 1 through 4. In Revelation 19, 1 through 4, the multitudes in heaven praise Him. Why? Because He's worthy of praise. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Let us therefore offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving praise or giving thanks to His name. In James 5 and verse 13, we're told, Is any, is any merry? Let him sing. So we sing songs. We sing songs of praise to God. Why? Because it glorifies and it honors Him. But it also enriches and gives us and gives us peace. Romans 15 and verse 11. Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud Him, all ye people. We sing a lot of songs of praise. Songs like praise Him, praise Him. That's, that one's obvious, isn't it? To God be the glory. Praise the Lord. And there's so many others that we could say. But the chorus of that song, in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Well, it may be all right by and by for some people in some situations. We may go through a rough patch in life and say, well, you know, eh, in, in a while it'll be okay. By and by we'll all be okay. But there is a sweet by and by for the Christian. that supersedes anything that we will experience here. In fact, we cannot comprehend everything that heaven is going to be, not in this lifetime. But there will come a day when God will judge the world and bless His people with rest and reunion. And that's just something that we as mortals cannot fully understand. But we know that God has promised it. We know that God cannot lie. And therefore, we know that He's going to bring it to pass. So, what happened with Mr. Webster? As he heard the words of that song and began writing the music, he got excited. He got excited and he was brought out of that melancholy mood. That negative way of thinking. Why? Because it turned his eyes from himself toward heaven. And toward God who made heaven possible. Maybe the words of this song will remind us that as another song says, heaven is there not far from our sight. Beautiful city of light. Maybe it's time to do like Mr. Webster. To start trusting more. And start worrying less. And start looking forward to that place that God has provided for us. You know, realistically, there is no reason to worry if we truly put our trust in God. None at all. I appreciate so much your, your great attention this evening.